Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs. And as usual, I am joined by Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Chris, how's it going? All good, George. All good. You know, um, you know, shootings like London buses and the invites come along at the same time. Do you, do you have that issue? Uh, well, we shoot kind of spread out over the season here at home. But what you're trying to say is you've got lots of shooting coming up. Is that right? <laughs> I've not had any. I've not had any. And then uh, I got one lovely invite from one of my best mates. And then I got another one to be uh, at another shoot the next day, six hours away. And of course, I said yes. So I've got finishing this week with two lovely days, but one of those hellish journeys in between where you've got to leave almost awkwardly early. I'm, I'm trying really hard to feel sorry for you, but it's not working <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It, it is just the way, though. But my other half understands, which is most important. That is always a good thing to have as an understanding other half. Right, Chris, um, things are a bit different today. Tell everybody why. Absolutely. So today we've got two guests with us. Uh, we have uh, Corey Cavill-Taylor and Marcus Janssen. Uh, I have to say that so I can intro them both properly. Uh, Corey is Managing Director of Bradshaw Taylor, uh, who are an outdoor and country clothing specialist. Um, but Corey created the first shuffle field coat, the ptarmigan, back in the early 1990s, no less. Uh, that's obviously a massive staple in the British countryside now. And he also created the oakum gilet, which I think is possibly the most British item of clothing there is. Uh, Marcus now joins an elite club uh, of two, maybe three, depending on which way you look at it, people that have been on the podcast twice. Uh, he joined us uh, for our first, well, his first appearance with his good friend and ex-England rugby international, Tom Croft, back in series one. Uh, Marcus is head of country brands at Bradshaw Taylor, is an essentially in charge of iconic brands, uh, Shuffle and Le Chameau. Uh, he's former editor of Field Sports magazine, as it was then, and both both guys can regularly be seen out in the shooting field and on the river. A huge warm welcome to Cory Cavill-Taylor and Marcus Janssen. Thank you very much, Chris. Nice, nice to be uh, breaking my duck here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and good to be back. Uh, yeah, and good to see you both. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to have you both on. Now, first question before we get into things. Settle a debate. Is it uh, shuffle or shuffle? It's shuffle. Shuffle. Neither of my two options. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon. I reckon everyone would have got that wrong. But better to call it uh, shuffle. Okay. If, if, if you're going to get it wrong, go for shuffle. Yeah. So it's on the it's it, it's on the uh, Bavarian border with uh, Austria, and the the uh, shuffle brand was founded um, uh, just over 200 years ago in 1804 by. Peter Schoeffel's um, forebears. So he's the seventh generation of the family. I was lucky enough to meet the sixth generation, Hubert Schoeffel, back in 1993 when I persuaded them to make me my uh, ptarmigan field coat, the first Gore-Tex waterproof, windproof, breathable um, coat in the country market. Up until that point, it was uh, it was all about bar wax barbers. And, and we've... It's still about wax barbers for many people, but for some people, actually uh, moving into a, a technical synthetic coat has been a good thing. Right. Should we crack on with it, Chris? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to hear what the guys have got with, with them because I know that they were, they were crafting something a minute ago. It's, uh, it's George's favourite section of the pod. Uh, <laughs> what's that you're drinking? Well, um, I'll, I'll start. Um, so some people will know this about me already, but twice a year... I'm afraid to say I do a, a complete detox cleanse and uh, it normally happens directly after the shooting season and then funnily enough, straight after the game fair when my body is at its most wrecked. Um, <laughs> and this year's cleanse started straight after the game fair. I mean, it's partly to, you guys are partly to blame. Um, the Guns on Pegs party has got rowdier and rowdier every year. Um, and I have actually haven't had any booze well, that's not strictly true. I haven't had a, an alcoholic drink since the game fair until last week. Corey and I were um, together in, actually, funnily enough, with Peter Schoffel. We were fly fishing with him um, last week. Uh, and Peter very kindly hosted us in his home 
Um, and he took us down into his wine cellar and opened two very special bottles of wine. And I felt obviously obliged um, <laughs> and to have um, a glass of, of red wine. So apart from that, I haven't had an alcoholic drink since the game fair. And I've gone back onto my detox, my cleanse okay. until, uh, until Christmas time. That's my aim. So I'm, a, I'm ashamed to say that what I'm drinking is non-alcoholic. Um, it is uh, called a rock shandy. It is a, um, it, well, the shandy was exported from Britain to the colonies. And obviously it was originally beer and unsweetened lemonade. Um, and then the colonies exported their own versions back out. And there is a South African version called a rock shandy. And it is it has a tiny amount of alcohol in the sense that it's got Angostura bitters in it. So it's half lemonade, half soda water. And half, and not half, and and a splash of Angostura bitters uh, served with a, a large uh, slice of lemon. So it's very refreshing, uh, and that I'm afraid is what I'm drinking today. So the point of what's that you're drinking is really the story, and I think that we absolutely let you get away with that one because that f- fully came with a story. <laughs> so you're allowed. Yeah, very nice bit of history as well. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, um, I think he only just escapes. we'll we'll come back to that (laughs) we'll get him at the game fair next year don't worry (laughs) oh you will oh you will yeah (laughs) and Corey, what have you got i'm drinking what's called a horse's neck that this particular drink was introduced to me at rockingham castle on a shoot um in fact way back in uh, 1993 when i was plotting the the ptarmigan shooting coat and uh it's um Ginger ale, three parts, Angostura bitters, one part brandy and a lemon. And it's absolutely delicious. So wow, that, that does that, sound good. that's my, um, that's my favorite piece. You want, you want to try one, Chris? It's delicious. I, 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 I would, if I could, this is why we should be doing more in person really, but uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's tricky getting one around, but yeah, no, very good. And George, how about you? Well, my kids were ill over the weekend with a cold. And I took a number of coughs and sneezes directly to the face over the course of the weekend. And so inevitably, (laughs) I'm feeling a bit crap today. Um, So I have got a hot toddy to try and make myself feel better. It is mostly whiskey, but there's a bit of hot water and lemon juice in it. So I'm calling it a hot toddy. And uh, it seems to be working so far. I've had a couple of mouthfuls and I feel better already. So um, yeah, that's me. Very good. Chris, what have you got? I found a beer, which I'm sure lots of people have had, but I haven't had. And after 48 episodes, that's important <laughs> uh, to, to, to have found one that I haven't. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's it's from the Hogsback Brewery, which a lot of you will know, uh, based in Surrey. Uh, it's the Tongham Tea, and T-T-E-A uh, stands for uh, Traditional English Ale. And Tongham is the village that the Hogsback Brewery is in. Uh, and it's lovely. So classic British beer. That's what I've gone for this week. Very nice. Having had all sorts of very strange things recently from outside of our shores. Uh, So yes, enjoyable. Very good. Cheers. Mm. And yeah, yeah, cheers. Okay, so now that we've all got a drink, let's move on to our first bit of listener correspondence. And Marcus and Corey, this section is called Whose Bird Is It Anyway? And it's where we ask our listeners to send in their shooting quandaries and queries and dilemmas. And we do our level best to offer them something approaching helpful advice on what to do in their tricky situation. Um, This one comes from somebody I've decided to call Donald. uh, And Donald writes, uh, Dear George and Chris, I was introduced to your podcast recently and now I'm addicted to listening to it and I'm pleased that I have quite a few episodes to listen to. A friend of mine introduced me to shooting many years ago and I've been shooting with him ever since. He's a kind and generous man, but sometimes forgetful. As he is now of the older generation, I've taken to picking him up and driving him around the shoot and then dropping him home. My dilemma is that he's never offered to pay for the fuel in the car, even though we might be driving for five hours. Whilst out shooting, he'll always say, can I borrow a box of cartridges? And when the keeper's tip is asked for, he's always left his wallet at home. As you can guess, he keeps forgetting to repay the cash and cartridges. How can I tactfully remedy this situation without upsetting him? (laughs) Wow, that's a tough one. (laughs) So so if he's he's of the older generation, uh, do you reckon he's that au fait with podcasts? 
and so he might not hear what we say, so we can sort of get away with it, whatever we say. <laughs> My suspicion is it's not that rare an occurrence anyway. <laughs> I reckon there'll be quite a few older gentlemen out there thinking, hell, it's about me. Yeah, and there'll be quite a few younger gentlemen thinking about the time this was talked about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I think fight fire with fire, no? Just leave your wallet at home for once. <laughs> Guys, guys, what are you doing in this situation if you're this chap who's 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 got this guy who's just bleeding him at every opportunity for every bit of cash in his wallet? Well, I think maybe George is right. Maybe maybe fill up with you know intentionally when you pick him up, have a low low tank of fuel, go and fill up and go. Damn it, I've forgotten my wallet, um, and hope that he really hasn't forgotten his wallet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You, you can't actually forget your wallet, can you? You just need to no. sort of leave it there and then go, oh, look, I found another card in the glove box. <laughs> yeah. When he has genuinely not bought any cash. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah. Corey? Oh, I, I think Donald's on to a hiding to nothing here. He, he's <laughs> obviously a very charitable man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be argued that he's just repaying the favour for, for the introduction into shooting in the first place, and it's the the tax that you pay. <laughs> so he, he says he introduced him to shooting a few years ago and we've been shooting together ever since. I just wonder whether, yeah, he picked up on this generosity and he's thought, brilliant, you can be my shooting buddy forever. <laughs> <laughs> All the older gentlemen's actually a billionaire and he's just wondering how long it's going to take Donald to pluck up the courage <laughs> to actually ask him for a quid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Before he hands the keys to his estate to Donald. <laughs> exactly. You've been so good all these years, as I, I shall repay you with. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it must be really awkward, though. I mean, I, if, if you're rocking up to sort of tip the keeper, does, does, does each time you go to him, oh, you wouldn't believe it, forgotten the cash again. I mean, yeah, it's after, a certain, after a certain number of times, surely that's just a bit odd. Uh, yeah, he must be very forgetful. Um. <laughs> it also slightly begs the question like how long has it been going on for yeah exactly there's a sort of statute of limitations on it isn't there you can't go hey you remember that tank of fuel i bought five years ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> short arms and long pockets difficult yeah well exactly you know it's no, it's no longer donald's friend's problem for forgetting his money each time it's now donald's problem which is why he's he sent us this email it's like it's like when you've got a sort of five thousand pound loan with the bank that's your problem if you've got a 50 million pound loan that's the bank's problem and yeah. so there's a sort of sliding scale <laughs> it's a very british problem isn't it it's, it's it's a problem of british politeness essentially yeah yeah so have we got any useful advice like have we got any practical solutions to this other than drop donald no drop donald's mate in it i'm totally with what you and marcus said you've absolutely just leave him Leave him high and dry one day in a really awkward situation amongst his closest mates and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ruthless. You're going to have to hang him out at some stage. Yeah, or bring, bring out an itemised list from that you've made up going back five years. <laughs> <laughs> or, or one day just forget to pick him up. Yeah, take another mate. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one as well. <clears throat> That's a good one. Excellent. So lots of potential strategies there, I think. Yeah. Over to you, Donald. Yeah. <laughs> right, Chris, uh, what's this week's unpopular opinion? Yeah. So this one comes from someone we shall call Sean, who writes, uh, my unpopular opinion came to me when listening to the pod whilst doing the graveyard 2am to 6am shift in the lambing shed during the spring with the pod playing in the background. It is as follows. Shoots should either give the option or only sell days on a per shot basis, not per bird. My reasoning behind this is having run commercial shoots and shoot days, I know that you are no, not able to choose them, choose the team that you host. Many a time have I looked out the, at the end of the drive to watch a flush of pheasants go sailing over the guns with a barrage of shots to see all the birds fly safely onto the wood behind. 
then to have the awkward situation at the end of the day with the with the person who bought the day grumbling because his team have shot say 120 on 150 bird day for 700 shots on flat East Anglian shoot. I believe that selling days as a shot count will allow shoots to cater to the more inexperienced guns who are new to the sport that we all love and allow them to enjoy their day as we would hope, keeping them coming back and spread the word. It would also relax the keeper or the shoot captain who can show off his best birds, not having to do the sixth or seventh drive to show them enough birds and attempt to get the bag and not have to worry at the end of the day that we have a team of irate guns who think it's the keeper's fault and not that they just can't shoot. Ah, how has this not come up before as an unpopular opinion? I, I this is this surely is quite well talked about. I was going to say that you must have had this. Come I don't up think before. we have. No, I've been I've been sort of keeping an eye out for it so that we could put it in the moment it came in. Um, <laughs> and this is the first time someone suggested it. It's one of the conversations yeah. that's that comes up a lot. You know, um, and 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 obviously in, in recent years with with kind of you know commercial shooting, you know, I've heard it talked about numerous times. Of course, it opens a can of worms, doesn't it? Um, yeah, you know, it does. does. It, it you know that there is the argument that you do that, and and suddenly teams become very very selective, uh, and their shot count goes down. Um, mm. uh, and and but but there is there is some merit in in saying you know it shouldn't be about the number of birds you know killed. I mean we've we've heard that said many times, and I think there's a lot of truth in that. Agree. Yeah, I mean I'd be tempted to say I don't think he even goes far enough. I would say just a flat rate for the experience. We'll shoot what we shoot. We'll all have a nice time regardless. I'd agree with that, George. It's it's difficult a difficult thing to quantify, but. Um, I, that really is how shooting should be, shouldn't it? It shouldn't be on either number of shots or number of birds. It should be on, have you had a good time? So there's actually a lot of shoots already that do that. I say a lot, I mean, not as a proportion, but there are a lot of shoots that do that. I think the common denominator between the shoots that do that is that they're so sought after that they can kind of do what they like. And, <clears throat> you know, Lord so-and-so just goes, of course, you can come for a day at my place. Here's the price, which no no other shoot really yeah. can get away with doing. And yeah. you don't reply going, uh, oh, do you mind me asking what the bag size is? You just can't. It's just, that's the price. Don't even go there. Yeah. Uh, and And so that is the problem, that a lot of shoots just don't have that luxury of doing that. But that kind of is the way it should be, isn't it? Um, so, Chris, here's one for you. So three years ago, I went on a shoot in Norfolk, and um, we'd, we'd paid for a 150-bird day. And at the end of the day, it had been a very particularly thin day. And we'd shot 350 shots. And, and on the last drive, quite a few pigeons got, um, got cleaned up because there weren't enough pheasants. And, and the shoot said that um, at two and a half to one, uh, we'd had our money's worth. And... and that felt very harsh to all of us. Um, uh, one of one of my colleagues had uh, friends had actually prepaid the day, of course, and so there was nothing to say on on the day. But we we certainly won't be um, won't be booking there again. And it, it was it was a lean it was a really lean day. But at the same time, to to do it by, per shot, I think is um, I think it's got to be done on. Did you see enough birds for? a 150 bird day and if you saw enough then then you pay up and you smile and you say thank you very much and you've had a great day um but i do think at the same yeah. time if it's really thin you know there has to be a conversation doesn't there because you both sides of the bargain have to be have to be made appropriately absolutely yeah and and the situation that you're in is is the the, the sort of worst side of what we were just describing which is the other shoots like that could use it to their advantage to just be poor and try and take you to the cleaners almost. Uh, and and so the, the, what we're seeing most often is shoots just simply putting in right here is the ratio. So if you've had this number of shots, now you've still got the issue that Marcus points out, which is uh, you can be super selective. And I've been on days where you're always at the you're always sort of following the etiquette of whoever it is. Like, let's say someone's taken the day and you're a guest and you, you follow the etiquette of that person. And I, you see sometimes the shoot captain because no one's shooting on the first drive, first few birds coming out. 
and the shoot captain or the, or the keeper or whoever is tearing his hair out and uh and you know everyone's being super selective and that's the flip side of it where it's like well on a second you're not going to have the shots so yeah. what can you do I, the the other problem is do you believe the clicker <laughs> like it's much easier to fake the number of shots than it is the number of birds in the bag at the end of the day yeah it is i mean i think ultimately like on a more serious note i do think that shooting needs to get to a point where it's about mm. the overall experience and that's what you're paying for you know when you go to a really nice restaurant you're not paying because uh you know the ingredients cost so much or yeah. you know you're paying because of the overall experience yeah. the ambiance the service you know yeah. the way that it makes you feel and really it would be great to think that shooting could get to that point where you know you're, you're paying for the overall experience as opposed to the amount and, of times you've pulled the trigger or the number of pheasants in the bag at the end of the day and i think what's a shame with shooting and is that in the restaurant world people vote with their feet and that restaurant maybe goes under the problem with shooting is that you know, Corey, you're going to vote with your feet, not go back to that shoot. Mm. But that's quite an expensive experience to have to have gone through to then reach that scenario. That's what makes it so tricky with mm. shooting. Yeah, it's, it's it's not just going out for a meal and going, "Oh, we had a laugh, guys," but we won't go there again. It's like, oh my yeah. god. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the 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 restaurant analogy is a good one because when you go to a fancy restaurant, you don't expect twice as much steak just because the steak cost more. <laughs> If, if, and no. if anything, you expect slightly less steak. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, but it, but but when you when you go fly fishing, you're 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 paying for a wonderful day, aren't you? On a beat, uh, in a beautiful yeah. spot, and it's not about how many fish. It's it's about did you have a great day, and is it a fabulous part of the world, and are you lucky to be there, and are you there with your friends, and and I think shooting is, for me, is exactly about that. You're with, with surrounded by your friends. You're on a on a day off where you're going to have a terrific day, and it's as much about the camaraderie as it. I, I, it's not about the size of bag to me at all. Never has been. Never will be. It's about did you have a, an absolute mint of a day? Was there lots of laughing, joking, and amusement? And and were was the shoot that you were on on it? And they looked mm. after you properly, and they gave you a fair day. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Here, here. Yeah. Your, your fishing analogy has just thrown up another thought in my mind, though, because in stalking, uh, you go out and you may pay for an experience, but then you can shoot something, and suddenly they get the scales of the tape measure out, and you don't know how much you're in for. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that actually is almost the other extreme, isn't it? Which is you've just been put in front of. Like let's say you've gone on a stalk, you've been you've been out for hours and hours up and down the hills, and suddenly you're put in front of something which you know whatever, and it, it might you may end up going out for something which is like you know you know when you're properly culling, but they go well they haven't found anything, and they actually show you quite a large stag or something, and you, you know that ends up costing you more, even though you might not want to wanted to have shot that. So yeah. I don't know, uh, it's complicated. No one's making you pull the trigger though, are they? No, but. <laughs> There's another debate. <laughs> Tactical miss, Chris. Um, <laughs> I say it. Yeah, a lovely stalk. Straight. That's what I do when I'm pheasant shooting is tactical missing. Uh, yes. <laughs> a, ta- a tactical miss. I, we need to know if anyone's ever had a tactical miss. <laughs> so, so on my on my local shoot, we have um, we put down a number of white birds, and. So the th- the thing is, if you um, if you see a white bird and you make no effort to shoot it, it's a twenty pound fine. If you were spotted by one of the other guns, if you shoot at the bird and you miss, it's ten pounds a a shot. If you happen to shoot the white bird, all the other guns have to put twenty pounds in behind the bar to keep the bar afloat. And the same chap shot shot two white pheasants last Saturday looking very smug. The good news is we tapped him up for a tenner because he missed one of them with one battle. Yes, well, hold that thought because uh, we might come on to something vaguely related to that in a minute. But first, we need to decide if that unpopular opinion was indeed unpopular. Um, So to conclude, I think we think that he's on the right lines, but the method that he suggests isn't quite right does that sound fair absolutely 
I think you were like, George, when yeah, you said so he's got to go, we've got to go further than that. And it's yeah. got to be about the experience, not the number of shots. The number of shots shouldn't be the barometer for how much enjoyment you, you, you're having on a day. Yeah. I think it's really important that we challenge how it's currently done. Yeah. That's what I'd like to see more of happening. So Agreed. yeah, good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah, I agree too. I think we're calling it a popular opinion then, are we? Yeah, it's first in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. So, Chris, um, we don't have a shooting hero this time around. <clears throat> no, we've got a twist. We've chosen something different. And, and Corey's almost, I actually wonder whether he was part of this story. So uh, we have a story that Joe has shared with us that demonstrates the importance of avoiding hubris and pride on the shooting field. It goes like this. I've listened to the pod for a good while and very much enjoying it. I don't have a whose bird is it anyway or a shooting hero, but I do have a story which you may think is worthy of the pod. On, on a late December shoot day last season at Cricket St. Thomas in Somerset, we were told at the start of the day that some white pheasants had been released. <laughs> Here we go. Uh -huh. Some of which were tagged, some were not. So far in the season, they had shot one tagged bird. The fines were simple. If an untagged bird was shot, £20 from each of the guns. But if it was tagged, that was £100 from the offending gun and a bottle of port for Beater's Day. We had shot two drives and zero white pheasants had been seen. On the third drive, one unnamed gun, who he is then immediately, by the way, named as Mr. J. Wheatland, farmer extraordinaire from just outside Cricket St. Thomas in Somerset, <laughs> <laughs> um, was... <laughs> So Mr. Mr. J. Wheatland was pegged on peg nine at the back of a wood, which looked out looked to be out of the shooting. After the drive, a very cocksure Mr. Wheatland returned to the gun bus, grinning like a Cheshire cat. He had shot not one, not two, but three white pheasants. Mr. W thinks that he's stitched his fellow team up for 60 quid each. The picking up <laughs> team came back with three white pheasants, as, we, as we'd all been quietly, quite confidently told. The birds were then checked for tags. Not one, not two, but three tagged <laughs> white presents. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> dear. Costing the humble farmer 300 quid and three bottles of port for pizza's day. <laughs> hopefully this tale is worthy of at least a mention on the pod and hopefully some garters for Mr. Wheatland. <laughs> oh, that is a great story. I love the fact that he was so cocky about the fact he'd shot them. That yeah. is exact, exactly what he deserved, isn't it? <laughs> uh, great oh, twist. Brilliant. A great twist. Totally. Yeah. It's it's funny how often, obviously, Corey, as you were just as just sharing, it's funny how often these sorts of things happen. And, and uh, it's all part of the joys of it, isn't it? It is. Great fun. Lots yeah. of banter on the white pheasant as well. Always. Yeah. And 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 a yes. lot raised for charity, uh, no doubt in between. Yeah, I'm uh, sure the GWCT love white pheasants. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they could be doing more there. Actually, they could almost sort of offer free white pheasants for your shoot, couldn't they? Yeah, on the basis. <laughs> yeah, I mean they do do a, they have the sweepstake um, thing in Hampshire where they ask shoots to collect uh, sweepstakes on the total bag. Um, and uh, and collect that money, um, and I think you then get uh, a bottle of slow gin per however many quid it is that you raise through your sweepstake over the course of the season. And I think there's some some of the bigger shoots, you know, basically supply the next season's slow gin requirements off the back of that. So I think it works for everybody. <clears throat> yeah, I was um, with I was um, actually George the day that we had. Do you remember with Ben Hughes at Hitchens Farm? Yes, he, he's you were itching he, to shoot one. Well, indeed. So he collects uh, he collects money for Oddballs, the cancer charity, um, and because uh, he'd had a, a scare himself, and so he'd put down some white pheasants. And because of the whole sort of story, because of his situation, I was just longing for these white pheasants to come over. I was like, I'll definitely make a donation. Come yeah. and send them my way. Yeah. And it, it completely changed the way of looking at it, actually. Rather than it being a fine, I was sort of like, yeah. But yeah. anyway, none came my way. And I would have missed anyway, so it would have been fine. And, and actually, on, on the Ben Hughes front, former podcast guest, of course, he um, uh, put a post up just the other day um, detailing the amount that he'd sent to Oddballs most recently, and it was several thousand pounds. Wow. So... Um, awesome. You know, it's it's uh, a very effective uh, fundraising technique. Yeah, correct. Mm. We we do it on our Rockingham Castle shoot. 
we have a sweepstake at lunchtime. And the, the winner takes half and the other half is donated to that particular person's charity of the day. And how often do you push the winner into giving the whole lot? Um, it normally happens invariably without asking. It's very, <laughs> it's very nice. <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it, on a shoot day? You just, everyone just stares at you for, for a prolonged period of silence until, until you give the whole lot. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, sometimes there's, there's shoot days that have got, you know, some arcane numbering system, you know, up four, down two, multiply by three to find your peg number. I've heard of a, a shoot, and I don't know if this is apocryphal, where the sweepstake was you take the number of birds that you think will be shot multiplied by the number of uh shots that you think will be fired divided by how old you think the keeper's wife is and the person who comes closest to the number at the end of the day wins the pot i i have no idea if this is true but <laughs> can you imagine that you, you need a calculator don't you yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, so um, do we think Mr. Wheatland deserves some garters there? Uh, yeah, for sure. Oh, just as sort of like a consolation prize. Yeah, yeah. Especially as he's been named and shamed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the le- the least we could do for <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, good. So Joe and Mr. Wheatland and Sean and Donald and now, of course, Corey and you, Marcus, are all members of the most noble order of the garters and will shortly be in receipt of your very own sets of the highly exclusive, highly desirable Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters. That's getting harder to say every time. Um, (laughs) If you too have got a shooting confession, a quandary or a query that you'd like us and our guests to help you with, or if you've got an unpopular opinion that you'd like to share, or if you've got an equally funny story or a shooting hero who you would like to nominate, Drop us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we use it in any future episodes, you will qualify for a set of garters. Um, on that note, I just wanted to take the chance to shout out a couple of existing members of the Order of the Garter who've sent in photos of theirs uh, in some slightly unusual situations. Some listeners may recall that we had a Teutonic correspondent who we rather wittily, I thought, named Herman. Um, he's sent in a picture of him wearing his garters paired with some traditional lederhosen, which is a, a particularly strong look, I think. <laughs> and then I also need to mention Ken Ora, who emailed way back in the midst of time from Queensland, Australia. And he sent a photo of his garters, but he's come at it from almost the opposite direction to Herman, uh, in that he's teamed his garters with a pair of traditional Aussie stubbies uh, and some work boots. Um, nice, nice. <laughs> it's a really strong look. Um, you can always rely on an Australian to come through for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if you want to see those photos, they're both on the Guns on Pegs Instagram account. So do go and have a look and, and leave a comment uh, to let them know how good they look. Um, they're great photos. Yeah, I, I I must also thank Graham Fairbrother and his his mates for inviting me to join them for a drink at the Bull and Three Leg Cross uh, in East Sussex the other day. Uh, Graham lives in Texas and he sent us a lovely message back in the summer saying how much he'd enjoyed listening to the pod on long drives. Uh, and we basically organised to meet up and and Graham and his mates meet every Tuesday and every Friday in their local, uh, which I think is a seriously strong agenda of twice a week for a proper session uh and they all they all have the 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 harvey's sussex best bitter in jugs on the side of the bar just you know enjoying themselves uh and and it's and there's there's another guy there tim nolan who runs the local syndicate it's in hell of an atmosphere and it was an absolute pleasure to join them uh so awesome that's quite a commitment that yeah i'm just very jealous really i think every tuesday and every friday sort of should be made standard really (laughs) Um, I'm gonna. These can, one of you of guys, can you one of you guys send the link to this podcast to my wife and let her hear that bit? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a yes, good idea. This will be played in a lot of kitchens around the land uh, in coming days, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so. Um, just before we round off all the correspondence, our 50th episode is coming up. Uh, so this, when this pod goes out, it will be the Friday after. Uh, so it's Friday the 4th of November. Uh, we're having a live 50th episode at Clay's Bar, uh, which is at Moorgate near Liverpool Street in, in the city of London. Um, and we basically, we need loads of you there, loads of listener correspondence, get it sent in. Um, come along anytime from sort of 5 p.m., we're going to do the pod and uh, sort of 
maybe about seven. No need to RSVP. Everyone is welcome. Clay's Bar is a bar where they've got these shooting simulators. Um, and we've got loads of them going on all evening. And we have some sort of prizes for the best shots. So that should make it enjoyable after a load of drinks at sort of 11 p.m. Uh, and yeah, it's a it's a hell of a setup if you haven't been. And this is your chance to come along and, and enjoy it full hog. So awesome. Friday the 4th of November. If anyone is in town or can get there, do come along. Yeah, and actually, Chris and I went and did a little recce the other day, and it is an amazing place. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's very exciting. Um, so yeah, looking forward to seeing lots of you there. Now then, Corey, you sort of alluded to this story uh, right at the beginning, but um, this first coat, the ptarmigan, it kind of changed shooting, I think. So can you give us the the full origin story? Uh, of of the ptarmigan and then obviously shuffle country coming out of that shuffle country george shuffle country i knew i'd get it wrong the first time i said <laughs> i'd argue that even marcus's execution of that wasn't quite spot no it's on, not perfect but... it's shuffle shuffle country <laughs> yeah. exactly <laughs> it's the umlaut forget, don't forget the umlaut exactly. that's the one yeah so yeah i'll take you back to um 1992 december skiing in Austria um, using, I'd just become the uh, ski distributor in the UK for Shuffle and it was minus 31 degrees um, and we were having the time of our life, powder snow over, over knees, up to hips and we did a full day and although it was extremely cold, minus 31 C is not to be uh, messed with. Uh, I was wearing my Schofel Gore-Tex ski gear, cozy as cozy. Um, and then wind forward uh, two weeks, I'm at Rockingham Castle on James Saunders Watson's shoot, my one of my oldest and best friends. And at 2.30, we stopped the shoot because there was a north wind blowing and we were all in our um, barber wax jackets and we were absolutely frozen to the core. It was completely miserable. And so we went in for lunch in the Great Hall, big roaring fire. And while I was drinking my horse's neck, I was contemplating <laughs> why I was at minus 31 degrees C two weeks before in a chauffeur Gore-Tex ski suit. And while at minus seven degrees uh, with a northerly wind in England, it was too cold to enjoy what was an absolute banging day because it was blue skies, but very, very windy and very, very frosty. And so that was that's where it happened. So it makes right. ter- perfect sense, doesn't it? You're, you're you're about to solve a big problem, <laughs> a big problem from having <laughs> what should have been an amazing day, which was a terrible day, and then having an amazing week skiing in Austria, where it was ridiculously cold, but amazing conditions where we just had the time of our life and it was um it was just one of those moments when you go well what if we took the Gore-Tex out of a ski product and made it into a countrywear product um and then I went off to um to see if that was a good idea so I went went to Purdy's and I persuaded the honorable Mrs. Beaumont to uh, to give me a, an audience which in itself was quite a feat um, it was it was quite fun. I, I rang up her PA and she went, do you have an introduction? And I went, well, I've got a great introduction. I want to make the best shooting coat in the world and I want her to help me. And, uh, <laughs> and the lady went, no, 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 you need a formal introduction from someone that um, the Honourable Mrs. B would know. I'm going, well, I don't know who she knows. And so she said, well, the, an- <laughs> the answer will be no. So anyway, not to be outdone, I rang up the I rang up the PA the next day and said, look, I really do need to see the Honourable Mrs. B. So um, what's her favourite flower? And she went, well, that's slightly unusual, but it's roses. So I sent her 48 red roses and waited a couple of days and then rang up on the Friday, rang the PA and said, have they arrived? And she went, all 48 of them. Corey. <laughs> so I said, and um, what's been the effect? And she said, on this occasion, she doesn't require an introduction. <laughs> smooth. Smooth. So I got to, so I got to see the Honourable Mrs. B, who instantly got very excited about the whole concept of this and introduced me to uh, the long room and to Richard, 
her husband and and to their master gunfitters and that's how that's how it all started actually and then she said but you don't want to just listen to us we've got a very nice fellow called Edward Asprey who's in the Asprey gun room around the corner and I said well I've already tried him but he requires an introduction and she said well <laughs> well your luck's in <laughs> and, and she gets rich she gets um, Edward on the buzzer and goes, Edward, I'm sending this very nice man round, and you're to see him immediately. <laughs> so half Brilliant. an hour later, I'm in with Edward, and he's going, excellent idea. We've been needing something like this. I freeze in my, in my Yorkshire estate every January for exactly this reason, north wind, it's terrible. So you think you can solve my problem? And I went, I can guarantee I can solve your problem if you'll help me. And he went, well, I'd be delighted to. Oh, and by the way, we need um, we need someone to market this. So there's a nice lady at the Telegraph called Hilary Alexander, who's the head of the uh, fashion desk. So she can come along, do the shoot, and why don't we launch it ne- next August on the 12th of August? So uh, Edward lent us his um, his grouse moor up in North Yorkshire, and he said there's another chap called Phil Burt who's quite a useful shot. You should go and have a chat with Phil. And and another gentleman down at Roxton's in Hungerford. So, I used those those four um, companies and all of their expertise to create the first ptarmigan, and that's how it all started. We made three hundred and shipped them in. And the honourable Mrs. B rang me back the the day after we'd shipped them into Perdis, and I'd done the training. And she went, "I think we're on to a good thing, Corey. One of one of our." Good customers has just bought one for each of his four estates. Ah, good, good. And we'd sold out. um, We'd sold out in a month. Really? So that's how it started. Yeah, we only made three hundred our first first season because that was a production minimum, and um, and the rest is history, really. So that's so that's so cool, cool. isn't it? But we but we agreed, um, Chris, that we would only supply those four retailers for the first two years as a thank you for them taking their time and their expertise and using their contacts to start start it off. But that in itself is a very clever move because it creates this air of exclusivity as well. Uh, so not, uh, yeah, I feel like you might've been thinking <laughs> in a double way about that, but that, that's awesome. I, I, hmm. And so, so what, what is it that then takes, uh, what does it take then? Do you think for a brand like, like show or Sherful, show for oh god give up uh to uh to um to to go from sort of being popular to then iconic i think the level of um expertise at, at, at purdy's and asprey's and roxton's and we also use farlow's they were our fourth um mm. um partner i think we absolutely got the product perfectly right for for what you know the the British sporting shop was looking for, and it was yeah. a paradigm shift product. No one had ever used Gore-Tex in the country market before. It's now a household name, um, and it just changed the way people could dress. Um, so you could be, you could wear light things um, that kept you super warm, super dry, um, and just extended everyone's um, level of comfort. Um, we opened four customers a year for the first 15 years. So, and I'd agreed that with the first, the gang of four um, at the beginning. And, and we kept to our side of the bargain. We now only have a hundred retailers in the UK that, that sell our product, who we think are the right hundred. Um, and we've tried to look after them extremely well. But at the same time, we've, we've looked after our brand, uh, I think, appropriately and um, just allowed it to to gently grow, and it, through no fault of its own, became very popular very quickly, um, and has I I think uh, I wouldn't know if you would agree, Marcus. It's maintained that uh, that look and feel of of a product that we don't overmake the number of products. So there's always I think we've tried to be uh, respectful to the market and respectful to the retailers who helped us on the journey, who've all been. Fabulous, and the and the ones that we do business with are great people. They take it very seriously. They they service their their customers, our customers, very well. Um, and I think it's been a symbiotic relationship between 
you know, our retailers and ourselves and, and our end consumers who, yeah, give us lots of, lots of good feedback. The brand is still growing. We've, we've also mm. had a bit of fun by calling each of these pieces from, so we're, we're based in Oakham in Rutland. So that's where the Oakham came from. The naming has been quite, quite simple. Yeah. Every village yeah. in Rutland has been peppered with all of our <laughs> names, L- Lindens. <laughs> And all my friends are going, we should be charging you rent for borrowing our village for one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had a bit of fun with it too. We've had a lot of fun actually. It's been a, yeah. it's been a great but, fun I mean, I think, I project. guess for anybody, I guess for anybody who's, who wasn't involved in shooting 20 years ago, they probably don't realize quite what an impact having these technical fabrics involved has made. Because I remember, what would I have been in? 1993 i'd have been nine but that was but i remember standing on the peg with my dad aged 11 or 12 and just being achingly cold like bone chillingly cold and that's in hampshire in you know november so not actually that cold but it just makes an enormous difference and if you haven't experienced that then you can't fully appreciate what a difference that's made and now of course gore-tex is everywhere well i think i mean for me the thing that makes showful unique is actually is is their expertise they're the oldest outdoor clothing company in the world um and we're in a we're in a genuinely unique position in that we can take that incredible experience and access to latest technologies obviously a key part of that but the mm. expertise that they have in that company are just phenomenal they make bmw's motorcycle wear you know they have, they make arguably the best yeah. ski, ski gear in the world um mm. they have an incredible range of outdoor clothing and and so you know these fabrics and the technology and the articulation and the functionality of this, you know, these products is well and truly tested outside of shooting. And we are very lucky we get to bring it into shooting and now fly fishing. Um, and for me, that's really what makes yeah. Showful unique. And Corey yeah. obviously spotted that opportunity very early on. He saw, you know, uh, the opportunity to bring that expertise, the technology, the fabrics um, in, into, into British country sports. And continue to do that. The, the thing, the thing I really enjoy about this is is making a significant change in a world that's sort of conservative with a small c. Um, obviously, guns on pegs has been been up against it when we were when we were sort of embracing the internet in the early days. And, and in a small way, there's some similarities because I remember when I was you know late nineties, let's say, I remember being out and people were still in the old school coats and the, and the, the hunter wellies, which I always refer to as fridges. Uh, cause I don't know how they made your foot colder than it was before you put it in. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, but they, uh, but the hunter wellies and the, uh, and the barber wax jacket was the staple item. And I remember people turning up in like the early ptarmigans and it was like, Oh, wow you've embraced the change and and it was it was a big deal and i think any yeah. brand that can can push those boundaries and be the first mover i i just i love seeing it so yeah it's been it's been it's been really interesting to see the the shooting world embrace that change slowly <laughs> uh, oh yeah. God, god yeah i mean yeah we, we, we could talk all day about slow adoption in the shooting world <laughs> <laughs> so so there's another product that we want to, we obviously have to talk about uh, and you've mentioned it already which is the Oakum gilet um now it's also known as the fulham life jacket the chelsea flat jacket i mean there's so many different variants on it um obviously it is an incredibly popular product but how do you feel about those sort of pet names for it do you do you see them as signs of affection or like how how do you feel about that well, I, I, I suppose, George, I used to live in Fulham, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see it as a badge of honour, personally. Um, you know, it's uh, any product that, you know, has a nickname and people know what you're referring to, you know, I think you know, that's, a, that's a pretty unique and cool position to be in. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's, definitely. it's people embracing it, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Exactly, and yeah. and Corey's always been. Yeah. He's always said you've got to have fun, and and there has always been an element of fun in everything that Corey does, business wise. Showful has been no different. Yeah, we're a very serious company in the re- in in you know with regards to you know product development and and adoption of technology and and what the Showful 
kind of company stands for. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a product that is designed to enhance your experience in the field. And that's just about enjoying yourself, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's fun. And so, I, and I did wonder this because you've mentioned fly fishing and I do want to ask about this, but but talking about fun then, so you must need like, what, 30 days a season put through the books just to product test? God, I wish that was true. I wish that was true, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) That was the idea when I I first sat down with Peter Schoeffel and said, I think we need a fly fishing range. I mean, that's exactly the angle that I was going at it from. But I've got to be honest with you, I've never fished less than I have over the last couple of years. Oh, really? busy, yeah. Um, Uh, Curry wasn't laughing, though, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is, we, your, is, is your other is your other job title chief product tester um i wish it was i wish it was no i'm very lucky in that we've got lots of great contacts who have been doing um serious product testing for us um you know we, we do take the product testing seriously and of course it's you know when i do fish and shoot i don't wear anything but shuffle and the shimmer of course um but no uh yeah it's been it's been busy um, there's been a lot going on, um, and I don't begrudge that, but that's definitely not part of my remit product testing anymore. Um, <laughs> that, that is passed on to people who do, um, have the good fortune of, of either doing it professionally or, or doing it recreationally a lot more than I do. Yeah. But I, even though obviously you do, you would always lean on the professionals and the people that are doing it all the time. I'll bet when you're both out in your own kit, you, you, you sort of come back and you think, do you know what, if we just did this or did a bit of that oh, surely oh, absolutely we're constantly scrutin you know scrutinizing every element of everything and, and having endless discussions um i mean you know almost on a weekly basis we, you know we, we, we get feedback either internally from members of the team we talk about how we can make things better just little tweaks but but yeah. also chris uh, externally every time we're, we're out uh, shooting and people I don't know how it gets around, but it does. Someone will go, oh, so you had something to do with uh, the Shuffle shooting cat? And go, well, yeah, I did actually. And they go, great, I've got this wonderful idea. Let me tell you about it. So, <laughs> How often is it a wonderful idea? Well, well you've, got to, you've got to be slightly careful. If you're overly enthusiastic, you get a bill. <laughs> so true. But it's, um, no, lots of great ideas. Great ideas yeah. come. And actually feedback on how you can improve something as well, where they go, if you only did this, or could it do that? Or when you make another one, could you do the other? And it's really inspiring, actually. And and these are real users, because and a real user loves their gear. And and this, this brand is all about fab- fabulous gear, reinventing what we've already invented and making it better. And and that's that's exactly what the showfall pledge is and that's why we've got a wonderful relationship with our with our tech team in Germany because they're they're finding new fabrics all the time new materials all the time and they just go guys we've just seen this do you think you could use it Marcus Corey and it's um so we're very lucky so we've got we you know we've got a big R&D team in Germany who've got their eye on the future and so it's yeah, it's very dynamic. Sorry, Chris, you were about to say. No, and I was just going to say you, you, what you were just saying hit a, hit a point with me because you think if you like normal shooting, or, sorry, normal coats in general, people don't really sort of care that much about them. A shooting coat, my God, they've got every opinion under the sun, don't they? And they become loyal to like this is the coat I wear, and I have to have this one because I can load from this pocket and I can put my hands here and do this and do that and. God, it just gets so it just almost gets too much in a way. But I mean, at you know, the, the, the end of the day, the product is designed for practical use. So actually, yeah. the, the direct feedback from end consumers is directly relevant to us. Uh, yeah, mm. some of the ideas are not brilliant, but you know, some ideas you, you you think, well, actually, that's that's a great idea. Let's let's look at developing that. Yeah. Now then, I want to ask you, you've mentioned it already a little bit, but I want more information. You guys have just come back from a fishing trip going after a species that is right at the top of my list. Tell me a bit more about your trip to the Bavarian Alps, I think it is, and what you were targeting there. Um, Yeah, so we're very, very lucky. Um, The whole, actually, the Schofield Fly Fishing Range came about um, from a conversation that I had with Peter Schoffel f- five years ago, um, 
it, our mutual passions in in life is is fly fishing, like you, George. Um, and uh, it became very uh, clear very early on um, that we our big loves were you know big love was fly fishing, and um, Peter. Uh, owns his own little stretch of um, of a river in the Bavarian Alps, which he um, is very proud of, uh, but he's uh, very protective over it. Um, it's it's reserved for him and his friends um, to get an invite to go and fish on his river is is quite a big honour. And uh, Corey and I finally cracked the nod this year, um, and it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful river um, in the Bavarian Alps. Um, it has uh, wild rainbow trout, uh, some browns, um, a lot of grayling, um, and it is um, home to a species of salmonid called Huchen, H-U-C-H-E-N. Some people haven't heard of them. Um, they are um, endemic to the Danube Basin. Um, and they grow to enormous sizes. Um, they're a cannibalistic species. They feed on, uh, well, trout, um, other salmonids, grayling, um, and they grow up to sort of 50 pounds plus. If, if anyone knows what a Mongolian taimen or taimen looks like, um, they're apparently a close relative of the taimen. Um, they're incredible fish, stunning. Uh, that was our primary quarry. Um, and on on the afternoon of our first day, we spotted a fish. Uh, we were stood on a bridge, um, looking at a, a large rainbow trout, and then it was suddenly absolutely dwarfed by a one meter plus uh, who can estimate it at twenty five thirty pounds, um, which oh. uh, which we we fished for, we covered. Um, to no avail. The problem with hookin is that they, they, when they feed, they'll eat a, a pound and a half, two pound trout, and then they don't need to feed um, for several days. So you've got yeah. to wait until, you've got to be quite lucky. Um, you know, they're not particularly numerous. Um, you've got to find a fish, and then your timing's got to be perfect. Uh, they've got to come onto the feed. They're quite a shy fish, so they tend to feed in the evenings and even into the night. Um, so a lot's got to come together for it to happen. And we were, we were kind of lucky that on the, the last afternoon, the second afternoon, it kind of did come together. Um, and, uh, the weather changed, um, it started raining, it was windy and they kind of like changeable conditions apparently. Um, and Peter and a friend of his, um, were fishing in a, in a, a big pool on the river and the hookin came on to feed and both of them hooked and lost uh, fish of over a meter. Oh, um, heartbreak. Yeah, really heartbreaking. Well, I got a frantic phone call from Peter and said, come downstream, you know, as soon as possible. Um, uh, and he very graciously put me onto this pool and I fished it, covered it, but the, the fish didn't come back up again. But uh, less than 24 hours after we left, I got a text message from Peter's friend and it was a photograph of a 125 centimeter who can estimate it between 40 and 50 pounds. Oh my, oh God. my God. Um, a huge <laughs> fish. So yeah, um, long and the short was we were, we were ultimately un, um, unsuccessful in catching a who but it, to be fair, it would be kind of wrong to, to succeed on your first attempt. They're known as the fish of a thousand casts in Germany. And, and honestly, I didn't begrudge coming away having not, landed on our first time we had an amazing time we caught yeah. lots of beautiful rainbow trout some really lovely grayling uh, in spectacular scenery and it's a stunning river mm. uh, and we tried some good, yeah. good, good new product too <laughs> <laughs> oh well now um, i was about to ask you about the flies but um i'm actually now gonna follow that up um <laughs> so there's are there plans to expand that fishing range then yeah, absolutely, George. That's um, yeah. That we have we have um, a number of new product coming into the range. Actually, spring summer twenty three. So, which we're very excited. We can't talk about just yet. Um, obviously, our retailers, uh, you know, know what's coming. Um, so that new product will be in store from February March next year, twenty twenty three. Um, we're very excited to get it out there. But it's a constantly evolving process, you know. So we work pretty much two to two and a half years in advance. Um, so we're already working on spring summer 24 product, uh, which we're equally excited about. So constantly looking for new fabrics, new technology, new things that we can adopt and add to the range and ways that we can tweak and improve products. So that, that product testing is an ongoing, com- you know, it's a constant thing. A hell of a business. So you've got skiing, shooting, fishing. What, what other passions have you got companies for or not got companies for yet? <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> cycling, Sigma Sports in London is okay. one of ours. So basically, and anything we love to do, we do it. Yeah, create a company yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. That's what Corey does. It's, yeah. it's kind of nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, th- we're, we're on the same side of the fence here. That's, yeah. why, that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> and I've convinced, I've convinced Corey to go into stalking as well. So we've we've introduced stalking into the show for Country Range. So we have our stalking smock, which has come into the range. Um, oh, really? So cool. yeah, another example of us finding something that we enjoy doing and turning yeah. it into, you know, a, ho- a hobby into a profession. Well, Chris, you'll, you'll know. I mean, and I would think all of your listeners probably spend a lot of time at work, so you may as well enjoy it and go and do yeah. something something that you love. And I've been lucky enough to um, find a wonderful uh, company in the Schofield Company, very old school, 200-plus-year-old family business, just interested in steadily growing their, their business. And... Um, Fantastic. So same for us, you know, Bradshaw Taylor's 127 years old this year. We were started in 1895. So, um, yeah, we're having time of our life, actually. It's, it's brilliant. And, and we've got lots to go out. Marcus is persuading me that there are lots of fly fishermen in North America, George. So apparently it's quite important to, <laughs> go and, to go and check that out. Right. Yeah. So God loves to try out. And he is. What you need is a product specifically designed for steel headers. George, <laughs> we have George steel headers. something here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you also just need like a pair of flip-flops so you can just expense the, the summer holiday as well and then you're sorted. <laughs> product testing in the Seychelles. The solution there is saltwater tropical fly fishing yeah. products. Of course, that's on the way, George. <laughs> but show full swimming trunks. <laughs> But as as we know in our office, you've got to be a seriously good negotiator to make your summer holiday a fly fishing holiday. Yeah, uh, Digby in our office gets away with it every year, and I do not know how. No, I, just, I haven't quite nailed it's that because yet. You, he's going to the Maldives <laughs> <laughs> well, on his own for two weeks. <laughs> uh, very go. good. Um, well, look, guys, the way that uh, talking about loves, the way that we uh, we like to end these podcasts is um, is with our section that we call Desert Island Shooting. So Desert Island Shooting is one last day. Uh, let's say that shooting is going to end. Uh, where is it going to be? Money's no object. Who would you have with you? What are you doing? Go for it. Who uh, Who wants to go first? Corey looks like he's still cogitating, so I'm, I'll kick off. Uh, <laughs> do, do you know what? And I, this is probably really cliched, but actually the place doesn't massively matter to me. It's the people. And, you know, I, I think I've actually I had this conversation directly with you in the past, Chris. Um, you know, my favorite day shooting every year are the ones with my closest mates. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really matter where you go. Yeah. And there was, you know, I've got my best mate, um, Jim Hart, who lives in Somerset, um, he was until recently a member of a little syndicate. He and his brother Simon, member of a, a, a little DIY syndicate. Um, you know the the quality of shooting. Yes, they present the odd good bird, but it really wasn't about the the, the shooting as such. But I'd always come away from a day with that team, just so happy, having had just the most and laughed so much. Yeah. Um, and, and really, and just a great team of guns who do it all for the right reasons. There was always a scramble at the end of the day about who could have the most pheasants, you know, almost a bun fight over the bag because everybody yeah. wanted to take more game yeah. home. Um, and you just, you, you drove home just feeling really good about yourself at the end of the day. And it felt wholesome. Um, and, and that's really what shooting should be and what it always was when I shot as a child with my grandfather. It just felt, um, you know, you just had a lot of fun, uh, a mm. great day with great people and, and you've made great memories. And actually so rarely are those memories about, you know, the actual shooting. They're about the yeah. conversations and about the people. It's so lovely. And the, and the problem with those days is you never want them to end. So you end up sort of sitting in the armchair by the fire, drinking into course, the evening. Always, <laughs> always. Yeah. And oh, yeah. best memories ever, there, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if I was to tell stories of my days with Jim and Simon Hart, most of the stories would probably have occurred actually after the shoot had finished, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the fun yeah. and games and the conversation and the camaraderie and the laughter. Um, and that could be said of, 
of you know any number of days shooting that I've had mm. with really good mates. Our day, Chris, that we had together last year was a perfect example of that. Um, yeah, you know, yes, there were some, you know, there were some great birds, but it wasn't about that. It was about the company, and you know, we just had an awesome, wholesome day shooting. It was Chris, um, myself, Patrick Elbraith, Tom Payne, Will Parkington, um, and uh, Will Morton, and we just had an awesome yeah. day. It's, uh, it also, I must remember to drink less the night before this time because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was good fun. Looking forward to it, uh, Corey. What are you? What are you doing for your desert island shooting? Well, i i would I would go back to uh, the original place where I had the idea, which is uh, Rockingham Castle with James Saunders Watson, one of my very best old old mates and mm. and all of his family actually and same thing it's um it's 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 all about the experience it's not about how how many birds we shoot it's it's about the way we shoot and 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 the way we interact with each other and and have a lot of fun and so that would be it for me it's a one it's a grand setting but it's not about the setting it's about the people and as with all shooting right which we all have have mm. enjoyed over the years, and for me, my my desert island would be that one because that's where the original idea came from, and and so it would be fitting for me to be to be there this this time in a ptarmigan, not in a barber. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yes, George. Every time. Yeah, yeah. We're talking 1994, mate. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't tempt you with a private jet to the Bavarian Alps to round off catching a 1.2 meter hookah, could I? Oh, oh yes, Marcus. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if we're allowed to include fishing, that changes everything. Now, now you're talking porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, suddenly, Marcus is perked up. <laughs> um, got to get. You got to get creative on desert island shooting. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, if you could choose fishing over shooting, it, I'm afraid to say it would be. It would be. And I know George, you'd be nodding and concurring here, but it would. It would be. I'm afraid to say it would be a day's fishing, uh, probably yeah. for Atlantic salmon, but with the same people with Jim and Simon Hart, two best mates. You know, it's about who you fish with as much as it is about who you shoot with. Yeah, uh, very good point to end it on. Indeed, guys, thanks ever so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Really nice to have you on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, George. Thanks, Chris. Good. Cheers, guys. Right. So before we go, as per usual, there is one final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas for us to resolve or by sending us your unpopular opinions uh, or your shooting heroes or by getting in touch to let us know where you've been listening or just send us a story that you think we'll find amusing. Uh, send your submissions to pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we use it in any future episode, we will send you some garters. Don't forget that we are recording our 50th episode live at Clay's Bar this Friday, if you're listening to it in the week that it comes out. Uh, Friday the 4th of November. Do come along. It'd be great to see you. We will be back Uh, in a couple of weeks' time with our 49th episode. But until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. (laughs) 